I do think the oil and gas industry traditionally and the representatives that are putting together these anti-renewable bills are highly and heavily funded. I think what happened with the freeze when right out of the gate, it was renewables that caused the blackout, people just ran with that. There's a lot of people that will never believe anything else, even if we show you the facts. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable, episode 38, coming at you right now. We're very excited about today's episode, as we are about every episode. Raina Hornaday, co-founder of Cap Rock Renewables, joins us here on the show today. Lots to get into with Miss Hornaday. But before we get into the conversation today with Miss Hornaday, let's talk a little bit about what we're doing over here at eRenewable. Great news that we, uh, if you follow us on LinkedIn and we advise that you do so, give us a follow on LinkedIn uh, at eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast. Connect with our founder and CEO, Mike Niemer. Connect with myself as well, Fred Davis. But just some great news we passed along last week. If you heard it on the Power Chat, we became strategic partners with Intelometry Incorporated, one of the premier energy software companies in the energy space. Anybody knows about them in the retail energy space, but now obviously they've been they've uh, gone all in on the renewable side of things as well. They've already been doing stuff in the renewable front already, but uh, they pretty much cemented that with their strategic partnership with eRenewable, which was announced last week on the Power Chat with Jeff Marola, Executive Vice President and Co-Founder of Intelometry with our guy, Mike Niemer. So if you haven't heard that, go check it out on the Power Chat. Of course, you can find all the Power Chat episodes and all the Green Insider episodes over at Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. but you guys know all that already. So before we talk about Miss Reyna, before we get into Caprock Renewables and the projects they've got going on, here is my Mike Niemer letting you know what we do at eRenewable. Hi, Mike Niemer here, president and CEO of eRenewable. At eRenewable, we bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both PPAs and VPPAs. Our electronic management tool helps streamline the RP process, whether you are a buyer or a seller of wind, solar, or battery storage, our platform will provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. Additionally, we help customers with microgrid or battery storage development, renewable natural gas by turning waste energy, LED lighting and HVAC efficiency upgrades, unbundled recs, and provide energy advisory services to our customers. Please visit our website at erenew.net or call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Thank you for that, Mike. And again, if you want to know more about eRenewable and Intelometry, go to www.erenew.net for eRenewable. And then, of course, you can go to intelometry.com. That's intelometry, I-N-T-E-L-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Yes, I know it's a it's a mouthful. But again, if, whether you're in the retail energy space, renewable space, either one, no better company when it comes to energy software than the folks over at 
in telemetry. All right, let's jump into today's podcast with Raina Hornaday, co-founder of Caprock Renewables, getting into just her start in renewables, which actually started as a child growing up in a ranch over in East New Mexico. Also, her early wind experience uh, in the renewable space, as well as bad rap that renewables are getting after the freeze, as well as her mission to educate folks on renewable energy here in the great state of Texas and beyond. So without further ado, here is co-founder of Caprock Renewables, Miss Raina Hornaday. Grew up on a farm and ranch in eastern New Mexico where one of the main things we do in that environment, the rural environment, is you go every day and you check the wells, you check the water. And we had solar powered wells, we still do, on our ranch. And of course, windmills is how pump water for ourselves and for our cattle. Growing up in that environment, you're hyper aware of the resources and what's going on. If it's sunny, which in New Mexico, it's sunny. 300 plus, 350 plus probably days a year. So we have an abundance of sunshine and it's often windy. It's the wind resource out in Eastern New Mexico. You know, the wind starts blowing down, I think in Southern New Mexico. And then I always have thought it takes off, off the Caprock of the Northern plateau of the Llano Estacado. Like it builds that whole time because the wind resource where we are there on the Caprock that extends all the way, it's kind of starts extends from Paladura all the way through New Mexico kind of runs along I-40. It's really valuable resource. And when you're out working in it, many times we can't hear because the wind, you can't hear rattlesnakes or anything. And so you have to, to work, you have to park your vehicle a certain way or your door will get ripped off. Only one door can be open at a time. These are lessons that, you know, most people just, it's interesting to live in Austin and it just isn't windy here very much. And when you go to the panhandle, it's just incredibly windy all the time. So to to be able to take that um, resource that has pretty much plagued our ancestors, you know, the dust bowl, and it's just, it's just kind of a force to be reckoned with. And to take that and see it benefit so many farmers and ranchers and rural communities, it's really been a huge influx of of resources and money into communities that are many times hurt by the drought, which is another kind of big environmental issue that we have is is water and the lack of water. And I, I heard an interesting thing this week. It was referred to as electric power cells in times of drought. It's a rainfall independent. So it's like a resource that's rainfall independent, which I had never heard that before. And I really thought that was a neat way of putting it. And and we need that. We need rainfall independent resources because we are driven by drought in much of the Southwest of the U.S. to be able to utilize wind and solar to keep our family uh, ranches and farms and homesteads going, which I've seen over and over and over is really rewarding. It's not kind of a, a trademarkable word. If you look up Caprock, there's Caprocks everywhere. We've just always, it's been a big part of, of our lives for up on top of the Caprock and it is the Caprock and the wind project that I developed with my father that became the Caprock wind project is named Caprock wind. So when I, um, partnered with my business partner and we started the solar venture. He asked me if we wanted to do something together. And I said, sure. And he said, what do you want to call? I said, well, what should our name be? And he said, whatever you want. And I said, okay, Caprock. 
how much of growing up on the ranch taught you not just the environmental and just the work ethic side of things, but helped you with the business side of things that obviously has served you so well for these 20 plus years? My family and the way that they were able to keep the farm and ranch going in the hard times where we had to sell all our cows and where, you know, the wheat got completely destroyed the day before it was harvested from hail again um, is, you know, my, um, my grandmother sold vitamins way back in the sixties, the first ever kind of vitamin company that was, if you want to buy vitamins, come buy vitamins from me. And she sold Tupperware, which I still use. And so, you know, she was creative in ways like that to add to kind of the financial situation on the ranch. She also would always go by or just pick up calves from dairies that at the time they were kind of giving away for free little doggy dairy calves. And she would put them on her big milk cow and grow them and sell them. And she just was very resourceful. She always farmed she always was doing everything as a woman herself. And my, my granddad did as well, but she was very entrepreneurial. And so she's out on the ranch still, and I get to spend time with her and she's very tough. So we always say grit goes a long way. And I think genetically, there's a lot of grit that goes into the homesteaders that decided to dig a hole in the earth and live in it. So in 2005, you you started Cielo Wind Power. How did that come about? And just from your experience and what, what kind of finally led you to opening up your own shop? So I married into it in a very interesting way and was able to work with him on all aspects of the wind power business, owning the assets, owning the land that the assets are generating on with Florida Power and Light. I kind of took over collecting all the revenue from our operating turbines and taking that money and allocating it into future greenfield projects. And so was able to work with many, many landowners and communities and gave scholarships for Earth Day to graduates and in our project areas and gotten a little disagreement with Florida Power and Light over some revenue based sales that they were doing on our property. And so I just learned a a ton about kind of every aspect of the the renewable the wind industry on a large scale. I mean there's lots of benefits obviously to to having a big global company and having all those funds and resources and different teams doing different things but we really we liked and stayed independent and then when we started Caprock we've kept that same kind of independence and and we're small we're probably the little fish in the pond but we have a lot of flexibility and as you know it's getting to be a, a more significant part of the mix both on the generation side and also on the the money side you know i i think between attorneys and developers landowners and everyone investments with all the abatements and stuff will generate between four and five billion dollars in new tax in new revenue. From 05 to 015, kind of what was that evolution like for you? The amount of growth, you know, we have an analogy where before there were utility lines, every little house and farm and ranch back in the turn of the century had a wind charger. We had one on our ranch. 
And so when we built 1,200 megawatts of wind turbines up between our project in New Mexico and Amarillo along that ridge there along I-40, we said, we just are getting back to the original number of wind turbines that were out there before, and they were wind chargers and they were for individual homes. thing I really loved about working up there is the landowners, and I guess in retrospect, they're kind of cut from the same cloth, you know, we, it's the same area. So they were super appreciative of the partnership. It's a big deal. It's a big agreement for landowners and communities, school districts, and, and the tax abatements and all that are, are, are really big transactions and they're, they're not easy to decipher. And so a lot of what we do is a learning process. So I think what surprised me most is the, I, I thought, wind would slow down. And now it has, you know, there's solar's kind of where wind was when in 2005. So I, you know, we call it the solar coaster, but I think the growth that's happening now in solar is the growth that happened in wind. And it's just so clear. Ah, And then storage is next. Like, right. When, when showed us and now solar, and we have a lot of the same issues, you know, we have a lot of the same you know, the Cres line happened because we had to get those renewables to load centers. And sure. um, that was a massive undertaking for a million different reasons. And now we're kind of in the same boat in solar and storage is coming. Walter Hornaday owns and runs CLO and he's done a great job. So I left CLO and was trying to decide what I should do. And that's when I got involved with TRIA with a lot of my ex-employees and, you know, ex-colleagues that were there on the board. And it was such a nice, comforting time to be kind of in between what I was doing with all this support from the industry. And this was six years ago. And Melissa Miller and I started managing the conference for TRIA and Holla Blues and the, the team there, the board there at TRIA decided to rename the conference from Texas Renewables to Grid Next. And Hala has just always been on the forefront of seeing what's happening. And we use her, obviously, and her great team. And she's just a, a, a mentor for me and, and a good friend of mine. And so six years ago, we did the first Grid Next in Houston. And we joke that this year, finally, people are understanding, oh, you know, the greening of our grid and how do we successfully incorporate renewables into the grid. And I think this year has shown us that we have a long way to go. We are not there and our infrastructure is, is aging. It needs, it needs a lot of work and, you know, just adding all these new resources is, is not a solution. So I think a a lot of people are working on that. And I kind of go from the macro of utility renewables down to the local level because of my work at Tria and Gridnext. I work with a lot of the rooftop solar folks and the energy storage and the microgrid type. In the scheme of where solar's at now, how many years ago was that that you would make that equal to where battery storage or storage is now? It's probably five to seven years behind and things could catch up really fast. I mean, we've always said we would we want to co-locate solar and wind and storage together. We've talked about that for years and some people are doing it 
the, it's still cost prohibitive for us to add storage to our solar projects, even though we have a lot of investors and different people that, that want that. We, you know, we work with consultants that are experts in storage. I think that's absolutely going to happen. Um, but we haven't incorporated it yet. I like the idea of local resiliency, local storage being incorporated with um, rooftop solar and community solar. So I'm, I'm learning a lot about that. And there's so many players in that field. It's really exciting and interesting. So when you talk about, you know, what's in the future for me and what I'm interested in, uh, I'm interested. These big projects are, are really great and they're rewarding. The timetable from development to COD and generation is long and we have a lot of competition. So we are looking at CNI opportunities, and I'm working with a couple of different groups on rooftop solar and and storage. And I think the freeze really made me hyper concerned about helping individuals to be prepared, even at a real small level. So that's something we're working on with Clean Techs for a fall um, conference to to kind of give people basic building blocks for how they can survive the next power outage which will probably be hot instead of cold. One of the exciting things I've seen this year and that's become real clear during COVID is the transition in the oil and gas industry. And it was happening before COVID. And obviously, you know, BP's built a a lot of uh, wind in Texas and they've been around for a long time doing that. And there's always different people announcing that they're doing offtake that's renewable, these big groups. But um, I think when COVID happened, a lot of the workforce got hit hard Um, from boots on the ground to executives that we worked with and big groups all of a sudden were unemployed. And they, looking around, they couldn't find another job in oil and gas. And many of them that, that I'm friends with and I follow had started their own shops and are doing either independent work or 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 um kind of joined other people to start using their skills where we need it with renewables because it's a mix right we're working with them a lot in solar with the with the um land leases we have to have agreements with the mineral operators and the mineral owners that's a huge part of the solar utility scale development and it's a challenge and it's it's interesting to talk to these big groups um, that say, hey, we're interested, you know, we're interested in getting involved. And so I really think that's probably been talked about for a long time. And I think we're really seeing that it's happening now and it's going to continue to happen more. You guys were the first to kind of foray into the southern part of ERCOT. Sounds like you've got some some company there now, but you guys are, again, a little bit ahead of the curve there. How has that served you as just Caprock overall? And just kind of what do you guys have going on right now? When we did our business plan for developing solar in ERCOT in 2015 and 2016, we used a lot of experts to help us analyze the grid and analyze individual substations to see where there's capacity. A lot of people jumped into the West Texas solar uh, development. And as probably everyone knows, it's a lot hotter in West Texas. The radiation is higher. 
that directly correlates with making more money with these projects all the way around. So um, a lot of players were successful out there, but, you know, we've been through the congestion issues in that part of the country. And so we decided not to go there. We have to be kind of creative and flexible because we don't have unlimited funding like some of the, the other players do. And so we found that South Texas generally has a deficit of power. They need more power. There's a lot of um, industrials down there with more to come. There's a lot of announcements for big liquid natural gas plants to go in, and those require a large amount of electric production. So we um, hired a, a guy that lives down in South Texas, and we started going and meeting with people where we identified good projects would be. And as you know, that's one of the things I really love about the job. And it's South Texas is very interesting. It's like a different world, especially all the way down. You know, we have a project in Starr County and we're in the judge's office and you can see the border. It's right there. And the balloon is right there. That's um, floating above us. And just the whole experience down in South Texas, I really enjoyed it because I love birds and, you know, flora and fauna. And so I hear about different snakes. I have an indigo snake. That's a huge blue snake. And a landowner was telling me about it. And I'm like, you know, I have to see this snake. It's one of the only um, predators of the rattlesnake besides probably roadrunners. Anyway, um, it's, it's an Asian snake that was imported and it's everywhere in South Texas. And how different is that from even in Austin to have the diversity and the birds, everyone that travels with me has to put up with me just, I will turn around for birds. Everyone knows it. We have to bake it into the time. So I always have my, have my binoculars, but you know, I, I really love to connect with the landowners, whether or not we end up working with them or not. Also the oil and gas money that's down there. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have that in New Mexico generally for the most part. And it's been some in the panhandle, but we didn't ever come across it in wind. And now it's, it's one of my biggest challenges with, with solar developments is working with the mineral owners, whether there's production or not, and trying to get them comfortable with being able to access their resource if it ever comes available through technology or anything else so we can utilize the, the surface how the landowner would like. What are the discussions you're having with some of your oil and gas compadres? And what are you doing and your colleagues on the renewable side to combat this negativity and this ill perception of renewables and their standing in the, the Texas energy front? I always kind of go back to, to TRIA, but TRIA originally was that group that got together the renewable people and the people that were involved with renewables and got it at a legislative level. Now, the Texas Solar Power Association, many of us support that organization and their work, and they help manage us. And when they need something, they reach out to us and we get landowners, judges, and the community involved in the support we need at a legislative level. Also, Jeff Clark, we work with him. He's in there. And so we at Cleantex, we, we don't lobby at all. So it's more of an educational piece that we do. And I, I don't think the oil and gas 
people that I work with right now have a lot to do with the legislation that's going on. I do think that the oil and gas industry traditionally and the representatives that are putting together these anti-renewable bills are highly and heavily funded from that industry. And it's it, it's still a education, it's still an educational issue. I mean, I think what happened with the freeze when right out of the gate, it was renewables that caused the, you know, blackout, people just ran with that. And when we talk about it at Cleantex, you know, I say, there's a lot of people that will never believe anything else, even if we <laughs> Certainly show not. you the facts. So I think there's nothing really we can do about that. This legislative session is very, very important. There's some bills floating around out there right now that would really hurt our industry all across the board. So when we talk to investors all over the world that have tons of operating assets and they have a little bit of sprinkles of investment in for them in Texas. I always try to get them involved with what we do here and how we run it because people from all over the world want to come to Texas because it's kind of like a playground for, you know, wide open, do whatever you want here and, and enjoy. But we really need the support of all the people that come from all over who benefit from renewables to help us support are um, different organizations that go to the Capitol. And, you know, we have representatives that say, we just don't, we don't know. They don't know. So I think the educational piece is missing here. And and even when I go to um, school districts throughout Texas, I'll, you know, present to the school board our project. And, and I always like to work with school districts on what they need and what they need is, resources to educate students about the energy mix in Texas. We don't want to just tell students, oh, here's wind, here's solar. It's very interesting to teach children how those resources actually turn into turning the lights on in your house. But Texas is historically powered by coal and natural gas and nuclear. So those need to be part of that educational process as well. So I always have a lot of different pet projects, and that really is one of them to to provide a, a educational element mm-hmm. to Texas schools where kids can learn about all, what Texas has to offer. It's fascinating. It's really amazing, and and we're on the stage. Talk to anyone all over the world; they know exactly. We have have shown kind of with renewables, so it's time to help our kids at starting at a young age to understand the opportunities for, for what they could do in, in the field. What's next for Raina, Caprock, and what you're doing with Gridnext in, in uh, 2021? We have a pipeline of projects, three of which are kind of ready to build. And so we partnered with Cantor Fitzgerald, which is an investment bank. They did a number of transactions last year in solar in Texas. So they know the market, they know the investment scene in the market. And uh, we have a great relationship with them. They put our portfolio of projects on the market last week. And um, so we're working with them to get these sold. And hopefully we'll go into construction with at least one of these projects later this year. And as a developer and a landowner, um, that's our ultimate goal 
you know, we, as we develop these projects and kind of get intertwined with the communities and the landowners and all the families and just, you know, so much about all these different parts of the puzzle, when these projects are up and running is when it really is worth the five years it took to develop it. So we have a lot of excitement around that. It's a lot of work and a lot of unknowns, depending on what investor we end up working with, we could stay on and do construction management. We could do asset management, or we could just walk away and, and give up our baby to some you know, somebody that wants to take over and do it themselves. But many times we'll work with investors until the project's successfully operating just because we do have all those relationships and they're important. So that's what we're doing. Um, You know, I think I mentioned to you the other day, but pollinators are something I'm really passionate about and kind of looking to what changes the land will make over the life of a solar project as far as we're taking it out of either farming ranching or lots of times there's not a lot going on and on the land but what happens when it's covered with solar panels especially these big areas of land so uh, there's a lot of groups that are working on pollinators under solar projects and I, I love that initiative I'm working on that for our own projects and with clean techs. I'm going to have a webinar on that in the fall. So that's an exciting thing where, you know, we can, the more you can maximize the benefits of these projects without hurting the environment, you're helping the environment and you're helping the landowner, you're helping the community. I just love that kind of mixture of all the, all the good things that can happen from these projects. Thank you so much for that, Miss Hornaday. Once again, you can catch all of the Green Insider and Power Chat episodes over at Google Play, Apple iTunes, Spotify, eRenew.net, or wherever you get your podcast. Very excited about this week's Power Chat as well. Don't miss that. That comes out every Friday. And next week, we'll have Kevin Doffing joining the program as well. So thank you once again to everybody for making today's show possible. Shout out to Mike Niemer and the entire eRenewable team. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier.